Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for jumping into our podcast. Over the next three months, our new series is called Lineage, and we're going to walk through major characters of the Old Testament from Abraham all the way to Daniel and understand the movement of the nation of Israel. This is important because it's part of our lineage. Our lineage isn't just made up of our ethnic or national identity, but as Christians, it's primarily this Old Testament story. Abraham is the father of our faith. And in Ephesians, we learn that God is making one people, Jewish and Gentiles, into the story of lineage, of how God has called a people to himself. So I hope that as you read the Old Testament, it wouldn't just be stories of dead old Jewish guys, but you would look at it as your own ancestry, as part of your story and the story that we're continuing. Hope you enjoy our new series. Well, Renew Church, we are in a series called Lineage, and we are studying the characters, particularly the Old Testament characters of the Bible. And we come to the goat, the greatest of all time, Old Testament saint, Moses. And so we're going to look at him. I love Moses. Uh, But instead of looking at an Old Testament text, I want us to go to the New Testament to see about Moses. Now, I didn't know if you knew, but the New Testament has a summary of Moses, and I think it's spectacular. In Acts chapter 7, we see a summary of of the life of Moses. In verse 20, and this is pretty long, so just follow along as I read. It says this, At that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family, and when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Verse 25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Verse 35. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. 
He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, as we look at the life of Moses, we can summarize that he lived 120 years, which is a very, very long time to live. And all of us can agree that he lived a very full and meaningful life. Now, these years, if we could put up the next slide, can be divided into three 40-year periods. The first 40 years, God builds Moses up as an individual prince. The second 40 years, God breaks Moses down as an insignificant shepherd. And the third 40 years, God uses Moses as an insufficient servant. An individual prince, an insignificant shepherd, and an insufficient servant. You know, as we study the life of Moses we're going to see the kind of people that God uses in unique and powerful ways. So let's look at three truths that God loves to use. Number one, the individual. Number two, the insignificant. And number three, the insufficient. Now, the first point is God uses the individual. I want you to notice that when God desires to do something, he always does it through an individual. When God desires to do something, it's not really through programs or systems or ideas. It's not through his supernatural miracles. It's not even through the masses. It's always through an individual. When you look at the Bible, you see that God raises up individuals to do great things and to transform culture. You know, when we look at human history, we see the same thing. We see that someone comes out and does something to transform the world, and the world is never the same. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated Martin Luther King Day, where Martin Luther King Jr. was the one, the catalyst, that that sprung the civil rights movement. He was the man who God used to transform culture. So we see it all the time. This tells us that God delights to use the individual. So the first 40 years, God builds Moses up as an individual. We see him as a prince in Pharaoh's palace. We all know the story that he is snatched from a basket in the Nile River and adopted as a prince. And so here God sovereignly allows Moses to grow up in the Egyptian court. If we could put up Acts 7.22, that passage, look at it. It says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Moses is able to grow physically, mentally, socially, in all the learning and all the culture that the Egyptians had to offer. You see, God uses the individual. God even gave him a desire to deliver Israel. He gave him a sense of destiny to be the deliverer. Let's look. uh, Put up Acts 7, 24 and 25. Look at this with me. He saw one of his fellow Israelites being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now look at these next words. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. You see... Here we see that Moses flees to Egypt 
because the plan had gone south. He wanted to escape Pharaoh's wrath, and so he uh, goes to Horeb to hide. What does this tell us? Moses' problem was not that he didn't have a sense of destiny. His problem was that he tried to achieve his destiny through worldly manipulative means. Because God uses individuals, I want you to see three things. And if we could put that slide up, we, we must never forget our past drama, our present duty, and our future destiny are all important by God. Let's look at our past drama. God uses our past, our background, our upbringing, our culture. God uses the experiences that we've had in life to make up who we are. We call this sovereign foundations. If you've ever life mapped before, and if you've never have, I suggest that you do that. It's fascinating, and it'll be a great blessing and a help to you. But sovereign foundations in the life mapping process is determining what the Lord has sovereignly allowed in your life. Your family background. You know, your heritage, your childhood, uh, who you grew up and, and where you grew up, that was out of your control, right? Events, certain events, certain trials and, and tragedies, many of those things, if you think about it, were out of your control. Your personality, your natural gifts and talents and abilities, they were all God-given. They were out of your control. You see, these are sovereign foundations that God sovereignly allowed those things in your life. Now, you might think, as we read this story, well, 40 years as a prince of Egypt was all for nothing. What good is uh, that now that he's hiding in Horeb, miles away from Egypt? But can I share with you that God will use all of his learning in the Egyptian court? that he will use Moses' understanding of Egyptian language, Egyptian leaders, Egyptian people, Egyptian culture to negotiate the release of the Israelites. You see, our past drama is important. Not only that, but our present duty is important. God uses our present duties, our job, our career, those tasks and responsibilities and chores that we have, those day-to-day duties that are making us into the individual that we'll become. I don't know if many of you have even thought about that before, but did you know that the daily grind of your life produces men and women of character? It's those small, little things that produces who we are and who we will become. Well, you might think as we study Moses, well, 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness, what a wasted time. How meaningless was that? But can I share with you, God will use all of those 40 years that Moses spent faithfully shepherding in the backside of a desert to make him the perfect leader to lead Israel into the wilderness and to help them survive and thrive. You know, Moses learned servant leadership in his duty shepherding sheep. It was extremely important. It was training for him to lead millions of Jews into the wilderness and to the promised land. You know, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. Have you ever thought, what do you think made him so meek? How is it that he was humble and gentle, measured and calm in different situations? Well, some of it, a little bit of it may be his personality, but can I, but I submit to you that it was those 40 years of training living out his duties in the desert. 
Hey, can I ask you, Christian, what are your daily responsibilities? They might not be as insignificant as you think they are. God is using your present duties for your future destiny. Amen? Our past drama is important. Our present duty is important. And our future destiny is important. You see, God has a plan for all of us as his people. We all have a purpose here on this earth. Now, do we have that purpose-driven mindset? Let me take you to a New Testament passage that also talks about Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be, be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Do you have that kind of perspective this morning? Are you living for the future? The temptation for us is to waste our life, is to get comfortable with where we are and to just kind of get by and not do really anything. But that wasn't Moses. The Bible says he was looking ahead. He wasn't choosing based on the here and now. He wasn't choosing based on his present circumstances. He was choosing based on his future destiny, this idea of eternal reward. You see, because God uses individuals, your past, your present, and your future are all important to him. The second point we want to look at is that God uses the insignificant. God uses the insignificant. So the first 40 years, God builds Moses up as a prince, an individual prince. The second 40 years, God breaks Moses down as an insignificant shepherd. I want you to to look with me uh, at Exodus chapter 3. We're going to go to the Old Testament now in verse 1. It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Wow. Imagine this. Moses, who was one of the princes of Egypt, great in speech, great in learning, great in power, a man of tremendous stature and potential. Where is he now? A shepherd tending his father-in-law's sheep in the backside of a desert. I want to tell you that God allows him to go through harsh humiliation. Now, you might say, well, I don't know if that's harsh humiliation. I mean, I know he's not a prince anymore, but how is a shepherd humiliating? What's so bad about being a shepherd? It sounds kind of relaxing. It sounds kind of nice. In Genesis chapter 46, you don't have to turn there. In Genesis chapter 46, we come to Joseph's life. Remember last week we talked about Joseph. Well, Joseph in this passage is the prime minister of Egypt And he wants to bring his family into Egypt to settle in the land of Goshen. And so here's what Joseph says. And this is the warning to his family. He says in verse 31, And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, When Pharaoh calls you and asks you, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants are keepers of livestock. So get this. When Pharaoh asks, What does your family do? Tell him, Hey, we're all ranchers. We all, uh, that's what we do. That's our family occupation. We keep livestock. We're ranchers. 
Why does he tell him to do this? Listen, so that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Hey, don't tell them you're shepherds, because in Egyptian culture, shepherds are the pariah of society. They're the lowlifes. They're the bottom feeders. They're treated with contempt and disdain. The Egyptians are disgusted by shepherds. Now, think about this. Moses would have known this growing up in Egypt. But now, how far he's fallen. In his own mind, he is a lowlife. He is a pariah. He's a nobody on the backside of nowhere. Why does God allow harsh humiliation when he prepares his leaders for their destiny? Maybe you have committed to do something for the Lord. Maybe you've had a dream that you've always purposed that you want to do for the glory of God, yet God doesn't seem to allow it. He doesn't green light your expectations. Instead, he allows you to go through some difficult and humiliating trials and tragedies in your life. Why does he do this? Let me, let me share this with you. God uses people who are insignificant in their own eyes. You see, God uses individuals, but only when that individual realizes that they're insignificant in and of themselves. And so God trains and he disciplines and he breaks a person until they're surrendered as clay for the potter's use. You see, he drills them so that they may have a humble heart ready to follow God in anything. You see, that person still has talents and skills, still has personality and giftings. Those are sovereign foundations. But now that person is surrendered to God. Did God still desire to use Moses as a deliverer? Well, yes, absolutely. But not in the way that he thought he would be used as a prince of Egypt. You see, God wanted to show his power and glory through an 80-year-old clay vessel. And God desired to break Moses down so that he could work through him as a humble servant. You see, the third point we want to look at is that God uses the insufficient. The first 40 years, God builds Moses up as an individual prince. The second 40 years, God breaks Moses down as an insignificant shepherd. And then the third 40 years, God uses Moses as an insufficient servant. Let's look in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. I want you to see this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I feel their suffering. Notice how God explains his purpose to Moses. He has seen. He has heard. He feels. God is empathetic. We call this an anthropomorphism. That God is talking in human terms, in human language, about how he feels about the situation of his people. God is saying, I know all about their suffering. I feel it. And I'm going to do something about it. And let's look at what he does in verse 10. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Again, notice that truth. When God decides to do something, he raises up an individual. And here he's commissioning Moses for that task. But I want you to see Moses' insufficiency. I want you to see his insufficiency in the excuses that he gives. 
Let's look at those excuses. There's five of them. Number one, the first excuse is inferiority. Let's look in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Remember, Moses is 80 years old. He's probably thinking, well, maybe when I was 20, I had the youth and the vigor and the vitality to maneuver something, but it's impossible now. Remember, Moses is a criminal. He's a wanted man in Egypt. Maybe when I was a prince, I could pull a few strings. I could have pulled something off, but that ship has sailed. I'm a criminal. You see, God has stripped him of all of his self-sufficiency. And I want you to notice God's response to his first excuse. God doesn't disagree with Moses. The Lord knows he's completely insufficient for this task. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Here, God says, don't focus on anything else. Focus on my presence. I'm going to be with you. Worship me, and I'll give you something. This is a guarantee, Moses, that uh, sometime from now, you're going to take millions of Israelites. You're going to bring them to this very mountain, and you all will worship me. I'm going to be with you. Well, you'd think that'd be enough for Moses, but now he gives a second excuse. And the second excuse is ignorance. Let's look in verse 13. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say then? Moses says, I don't have the right answers. I don't have the right theological information. If they ask me questions about you, I don't have solutions to that. I want you to notice God's response in verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. The Lord tells Moses, you don't need to have all the answers. You just need to have all of me. And I want you to notice what God does. God gives Moses his name. And I want you to look at it. We have it up. It's Y-H-W-H. You're saying, how in the world do you, how in the world do you pronounce that? Well, you know what? We don't know. As we live here, the, the Jews have always revered the name of God where they did not pronounce it. So we don't know it's, if it's pronounced Yahweh, it's, if it's pronounced Yahweh, if it's pronounced Yahuwah, or if it's pronounced Yahowah. We don't know. But we do know what it means. And it means I am he who always has been, I am he who always will be, I am the all-sufficient one. That's what he was saying. Y-H-W-H. I am the all-sufficient one. I am all you will ever need. Hey, have you ever seen the names of God? There are so many of them. Let me give you a few. I, I have them up. It says the names of God are Yehoah Yaira. I am the all-sufficient one, your provider. Yehoah Rafe. I am the all-sufficient one, your healer. Yehoah Nisi. I am the all-sufficient one, your banner. Yehoah Shalom. I am the all-sufficient one, your peace. Yehoah Shema. I am the all-sufficient one, your abiding presence. God is saying to Moses, I am the all-sufficient one, and I'm whatever you need me to be for you at that time. Your provider, your healer, your banner, your peace, 
your presence. I will be whatever you need to be. You don't need to look anywhere else. Isn't that powerful? Well, the third excuse Moses gives is that of insecurity. Verse 1, chapter 4 and verse 1. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? He's saying, what if they don't respect me? I'm a simple shepherd, and I'm telling them to follow me against the greatest power of of that time, against the superpower of Egypt? That doesn't make any sense. I want you to notice God's response. I love this. In chapter 4 and verse 2, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses replied, a staff. God responds with an object lesson. Let me say this, the staff represented Moses' occupation as a shepherd. And remember, we said that the shepherds were disrespected by the Egyptians. That in uh, Egyptian culture, shepherds were regarded as the pariah of society. So this staff reveals the irrelevant, or represents the irrelevant, insignificant, insufficient identity of Moses. Do you like that? I put that myself. That the staff represents the irrelevant, insignificant, insufficient identity that Moses had. And God tells Moses to throw that staff to the ground, to give up that perceived identity that, had been pla- that has been plaguing Moses. Give it up. And when Moses throws that staff to the ground, what happens? it miraculously becomes a dangerous serpent. I could go on and on and and explain that. I don't have time to do that, but it's pretty awesome, right? It's a great show. But here's my point. When Moses picks that staff back up again, let me share this with you. It is no longer Moses' shepherd staff. In chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. From now on, it's no longer an ordinary staff. It is the staff of God. Isn't that awesome? With that, Moses strikes the Egyptians with 10 plagues. With that staff, he parts the Red Sea. With it, he brings water out of a rock in a dry desert. With that staff, he signals victory against the Canaanites. It is no longer Moses' staff. It is now the staff of God. What is in your hand this morning? Maybe you feel insecure about your background or your status, about your abilities, or maybe the sins of the past has left you feeling very insecure, the deficiencies that you have. But when the Lord calls you to do something, can I share with you, trust him, give it to him, surrender what's in your hand, and watch what he will do with it. Amen? Wherever God guides, and this is what God's trying to teach Moses, wherever God guides, he always provides. Now, Moses gives a fourth excuse, and that is one of inadequacy. Let's look in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have, uh, since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. This is really interesting because ancient Egyptian documents show that Egyptians put a premium on eloquence in culture. So any leader was judged by their speech, how eloquent they are. And Moses is saying, I'm not eloquent. I can't, I stutter. I'm slow of speech and tongue. What was he saying? Moses has no confidence in his abilities. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that when we look at the New Testament in Acts 7.22, that it says that Moses was powerful in speech. 
Then why is it in the Old Testament, it says that he's slow of speech? Did the New Testament get Moses all wrong? Well, the Acts passage is referring to Moses as a young man in Egypt, a charismatic prince who spoke with eloquence. But think about this. Now, Moses has lost the confidence of his youth. He's been in the desert 40 years with the only company being the company of sheep. He doesn't have to be eloquent with sheep as he's, as he's left at a loss for words. Have you ever felt that way before? Your past history has made you feel like a nobody. Your life experiences have brought you some failures. You were so promising at one time, but now you feel totally inadequate to do anything for God. You have lost any confidence in your abilities. I want you to see God's response, and I love it. Chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? And who makes them deaf or mute? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. I love this. The Lord doesn't listen to Moses' a lame excuse. He just reminds Moses that he created human beings, that he's sovereign over what Moses can and cannot do. And God tells him, hey, Moses, I've called you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to provide for you. Now, it looks like all of his excuses are answered, isn't it? Right? There's none left, is there? There's a fifth excuse, and that's insubordination. Let's look at verse 13. But Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Now he comes to the fact that he just doesn't want to do it. Lord, I don't want to do it. You see, the feeling of insufficiency can lead us to disobedience, can it? When God calls us to something and we feel insufficient, when we feel like, you know what, I'm inadequate uh, to do these things. You know, it's not in my ability. It's not in my history. And what do we do? We tend to say, Lord, I'm not going to do it. I want you to notice God's response in verse 14. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Now, think about this. The Lord doesn't get angry with Moses when he gives excuses about his insufficiency. All of that is actually true. The Lord actually encourages Moses. I'll be with you, Moses. I am all that you will ever need, Moses. I'll provide miraculously for you, Moses. I'll help you speak, Moses. I'll bring helpers to come alongside of you, Moses. God comforts him in every way. But when Moses becomes disobedient, that's when God becomes angry. That's where God draws the line. You may feel inferior and ignorant. You may feel insecure and inadequate. But God never allows us to excuse ourselves from his purpose and plan. Because those excuses are nothing to God. We may think that they're big, overwhelming excuses, but to the Lord, they're just lame excuses. He was going to do it in his power anyway. So I want you to know that God is looking for a specific kind of leader, a specific kind of person, an individual who understands their insufficiency and they're completely surrendered to the Lord. God is looking for an individual who will simply trust and obey. You see, the rest of the story of Moses was when Moses simply trusted and obeyed. He delivered Israel from the slavery of Egypt, didn't he? He led them through the overwhelming Red Sea. He sustained them through the treacherous wilderness experience. 
He brought them to the foot of the promised land. He secured the Ten Commandments. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He became the greatest Old Testament saint in all the Bible. And that was Moses from 80 years old to 120 years old. Listen, God can do amazing things through you, but he's looking for somebody who is completely devoted to him. You know, I'm so excited to be able to share with you the summary of Moses' life because when you look at those three things, they're not impossible to do, are they? They're not impossible for us. They're very, very, very possible and practical. God's not looking so much for a Tom Brady or a LeBron James. God's not looking for some amazing Stephen Hawking type of person. God is just looking for an individual. That's you and me. He's looking for someone who knows they're insignificant. That's you and me. And he wants somebody who knows that they're insufficient, but will allow God's sufficiency to work through them as they surrender to him. Will you be that person? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these characters in the Bible like Moses. Lord, they were brought, they are brought here, the New Testament says, for our edification, to be built up, that we may learn through these heroes of faith because they are our brothers and sisters. They're just like us. And we pray that the lesson in Moses will come across in our lives loud and clear, that you will awaken some of us to the apathy that we are facing right now, that, Lord, you would encourage us maybe in the fear that some of us have right now, and that you would push us forward in faith to continually do what you want us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen.